The big thing that I've I've seen, especially at the high school level, and we we were talking about, you know, the you know, with doing kind of these pre-planned robotic rehearsed tight drills, you know, whether it's on the field, on the court, on the ice, and off the court, field and ice, uh, is that their creativity is gone. Yeah. And in my opinion, sport, that's a form, you know, human movement, that is creativity. You know, that is something that we, it is trainable. All right. I have a two year old daughter, and I think, don't you have a, yeah, two and a half, yeah, and a, and a nine month so, old. You just seen, I like today, I went, you know, I went to the gym to, to, to clean this afternoon, and I always, on Saturdays, I always bring my daughter along. And just seeing her kind of just take some, you know, simple pieces of, uh, of equipment, whether it's, you know, a light medicine ball, a bounce, you know, one of our balance beams, whether it's our little trampoline, whatever it may be, but just see what she does with it. it it's fascinating. And, and we lose that. That was sports performance coach James Smith, owner of the U of Strength, speaking on creative capabilities as an important aspect of athletic performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the Free Lap Timing System, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The Free Lap Timing System has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today, and we have on the show James Smith, who is the owner of the U of Strength. Uh, in Tingsboro, Massachusetts. James, not to be confused with the James Smith who wrote The Governing Dynamics of Coaching and many other books. Um, I think James Smith is just a popular name. So um, there's probably many James Smiths in coaching, but um, James, we have the U of Strength, James Smith, and he is a brilliant forward thinker in the industry. Uh, You know, I, I don't spend a lot of time on like Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. I just really don't, I just don't like spending time on social media, uh, which is a little hypocritical because I post things on social media. But uh, when I have gone through Twitter, I, I, James' videos have, have often popped up and they're always these innovative and creative coaching means. And something I didn't realize about James, and James as well, is, in addition to owning the U of Strength, has some pretty serious coaching accolades to himself. He's worked with a number of current NHL, NBA, and MLS players. He's also worked with the 2011 NCAA Men's Basketball National Champion, UConn Huskies. And so uh, some of the things that I've, I've learned from James, though, recently, and this is the theme of the podcast, is um, his perception and action work. And we've had a few episodes on this uh, thus far on the series, uh, starting back with Sean Mishka and... and Michael Zwiefel and Scott Sawasser, and then uh, progressing, and then progressing from there. And uh, perception and action is interesting because you have some coaches who are very totally for it. This is a game changer. This is where we need to be directing our change of direction and agility and moving past canned movements and into free flowing um, states that rep- are representative of sport. And then we have other coaches who would say. Uh, this isn't this isn't uh, part of our job description. We need to stay in our silo and and I think just bandwidth and context, bandwidth of who what athletes are working with and context of your position is very important. And James gives an awesome argument for just how important it that type of work is in context of his position. <clears throat> and then he's going to get into the nuts and bolts of his perception action work, how long he's been doing it, the types of results he's seeing, the types of setups he likes to utilize where in the workout he puts it, uh, what athletes are missing, and how how he tries to get it. 
I think that, and this is something that's so true, and we're going to chat about it, and I don't want to steal any thunder, so this is all I'm going to say about it. And, and I've written about this recently as well, and that is, you know you have a good program when the best athletes on the team are also the best at the exercises that you are implementing and how you are wanting those ex- exercises executed. Um, so if the best players on your team are the ones who are back squatting, parallel back squatting the most by all means have the back squat is a big measure. But, uh, for a lot of teams and athletes in sports situations, um, that's not the case. And so, uh, James and so James is going to go into major detail on how, uh, this is changing his program, how it's changing his thinking, and how he will never go back to canned and robotic coaching. Uh, this episode reaches much further than physical preparation. It reaches into the coaching community at large, uh, which it's interesting how just strengthening and dishing physical prep uh, is such students of, and as well as a lot of track coaches are such students of the motor learning space and how it's almost like that is disrupting a little bit, if you will, team sport coaching, because for whatever reason, there is that gap that often exists there in team sport coaching. And so I just think it's such an interesting and fascinating dynamic, uh, regardless of who you coach, what sport, uh, what age group, this episode has a ton of really great stuff in it. James is, again, is just a brilliant and forward-thinking coach. You can see his passion, sense his passion in his voice and what he's doing and just how much he cares for his athletes to achieve um, their highest success, and he will leave no, no stone unturned in doing so. So that being said, let's get to this gem of an episode with James Smith of the U of Strength on getting better transfer to sport out of our physical preparation programs while I was going kind of through this kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of had this aha moment saying, okay, what do I need to do, you know, to offer a better product? Um, I kind of made this change and it, it allowed me to kind of really, I guess you could say experiment, but with different ideas, um, with, you know, training this, the whole perceptual cognition, um, you know, side of things. Um, but it's definitely while I've been there, um, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, uh, volleyball, futsal, baseball, everyone's there. And I'm watching these kids going through practice, going through what they're calling skills and they're just missing the boat. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to point the finger because a lot of these, you know, they're doing that, they're kindness of their heart. Um, but it's just something's missing and these kids aren't developing. These kids are they're they're skipping the most essential step to athletic development. Um, and so that's where I kind of see that's where I'm going to take my services continuing moving forward um, to provide not only the physical, but also kind of the psychological side of things. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, James. Uh, and so what one of the things that I, I, I think about a lot like is this it, is. say let's say 20 years ago when people were more physically well-rounded and developed you know is there more and and i guess a lot of it is the coaching too like is do you have the the diverse background that allows you like what um jeremy frisch was saying do you have this movement literacy library that lets you put together movement well and then do the coaches in your sport are they are they teaching you the right things and I, i think about this a lot like what does it take and you've clearly done this like where you felt you saw the gap right like you saw kids are getting faster stronger but that's not translating. And and I think that it takes a lot of uh, recognition of the subtleties, like more than just numbers. You can't look at just, you know, this amount of pounds on the bar, the BBT said this, you know, yeah. it, it, you have to go deeper. And like, sometimes I wonder what is that threshold for people to cross where they can get into that world where all of a sudden, like that becomes important. Um, Cause I've certainly found that too. you know, kind of as I've gone, it's, I've almost been to the point where I was almost like not completely, but almost like resigning myself a little bit of my impact on the results of the athlete, like their actual sports skill. It's like, well, I got you faster or I get you strong and faster. So, you know, then you like kind of throw up your hands type thing. And, and, but just being pulled towards, okay, well, maybe there's more there. And I don't work with um, like ball sport well tennis, but not like team sport reacted to another person uh, sport. So a lot of my stuff has more been in the subtleties of the movement itself, but yeah, it's it's awesome what you're doing. And I, 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 it intrigues me as well. Like the, like like motor learn like the te- that uh, uh, um, idea applied to team sport coaching too. Like with, uh, like I mean you and I are like you know like 
I don't know. I don't know. Cra- crazy is not, I don't like the word crazy, but me and you are very passionate about this type of thing. So it's like, what does it take for a team sport to coach on that high school level to become passionate about teaching people correctly? It's, it's, and, and why is there a gap there? And it's just something I guess I think about. I'm like, if you work with athletes, don't you want to give them everything you have? You know? Well, 100%. And that's actually the next step with, with my business with the U.S. Strength is that, I, I, I love coaching and I'm going to continue coaching the athletes themselves, but I also want to try to expand it to the consulting side where <clears throat> I'm, I'm working with whether it's the youth, you know, or the high school or, you know, the prep school, whatever it may be, but really talking to the head coach or in my area in New England, uh, hockey is, is, is pretty much everything. And we have these, all these different youth organizations that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of athletes. And if I can talk to some owners, or if I can talk to some ADs at some, you know, high schools, but just to teach them that there's more to this whole, you know, this whole sport developmental process. And it's not about making kids tired. And it's not just about wins and losses. And it's not just about uh, the physical side, whatever it may be, but maybe come up with some type of curriculum where I can where I can attack, you know, I can really talk to the coaches and then I can have more of an impact, you know, with the athletes because I've seen it and the beauty, you know, whether you like it or not with the social media platforms, uh, with one of, one of our local coaches, it's a, they're called Neshoba Youth Hockey. Um, and I work with their team, uh, once a week and it's, it's five-year-old to, to 10-year-old boys and girls. Um, and that's probably, probably my favorite age other than, you know, kind of that, uh, 18 to 22 age, but the younger kids, I really, really do enjoy, but talking with him and seeing the impact he is having, uh, with our discussions with motor learning and the constraints led approach. And he's applying that to ice hockey. And it's really, really neat to see. Cause if you go to any ice rink, you know, in the state of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, you know, it, you'll see the same station drills, you know, coaches are yelling, parents are yelling, teammates are yelling, uh, where this guy, it's a breath of fresh air where he's taking some of these unorthodox ideas and he's really developing. And these kids are, they're seeing, they're seeing changes. And I'm hoping, you know, this is kind of the first step with working with this gentleman. Um, and I'm hoping it just, it's a snowball effect and will continue because it really is, um, there's more to it, like you said. And if you are, in my opinion, if, if you're a coach, you should be always learning. And that's that's not just from the performance side. You know, that's just across the board. You need to find different ways uh, to, you know, to help your athletes. Um, and if, if and if that's not why you're in it, then get out. Yeah, I feel like I feel like everyone who's in the sports performance uh, profession, especially like, I mean, I guess, it, you know, there's so many sports you can work with, right? But like, whatever sport you're in be it or maybe just this idea that maybe like at least like maybe on a jv high school or freshman high school team level just coach the sport you know if it's individual ball sports team ball sports you know whatever it is even just for a little while just to start to understand uh and and observe those things that make the best players the best players (laughs) and because it's not it's not just black and white you can't just necessarily i mean i suppose you could you could come with all these categories and try to put a number on it but I feel like it's like the more time you spend around those athletes, the more you can see, uh, and then teams too, right? Like, and so uh, you mentioned like the station drills too. So, and you're like with the ice hockey. So you're just talking about stuff where it's it's very like canned and robotic, and there's not there's not a whole lot of emphasis on decision making and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's basically they're told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and if they don't do it subjectively, you know, in the coach's mind, then there's there's negative consequences. And it's just it, it's just not how it is. It's just the kids aren't going to I mean, don't get me wrong. The kids that are genetically gifted and are going to be good no matter what, of course, they're going to excel. But it's those other kids that don't that get frustrated, that get burnt out, that get hurt. Um, those are the kids that, you know, I want to impact. Those are the kids, you know, as a coach, in, in my opinion, those that, that's what fuels me. That's what, you know you know, I wake up every morning and, you know, for a 16 hour day that that's, you know, why I do what I do. Um, but yeah, it's just, and it's, it's very foreign too with a, so to give context, I work with all sports, but primarily, um, hockey and basketball. And obviously with ice hockey, it's, it's very unique because the game is played in skates and, you know, on a sheet of ice. 
Um, and so I'll get a lot of, you know, get different questions when you're talking about, you know, skill development or skill adaptation. Um, and asking is, you know, can you have an impact when you're, you know, training agility, this whole perception, action, intention, coupling. And in my opinion, and this is, you know, I, I don't have any direct data, but I do have testimonials and I have the athletes that, you know, stick with me year in and year out these past two years um, that you can have a huge, huge impact. Maybe not from the traditional sense from a biomechanical standpoint, because obviously I can't mimic, you know, from a specificity standpoint, I can't mimic anything remotely that they're going to get to on the ice. It's just, you know, it's just a whole different, whole different ball game. But from a behavioral and a brain standpoint, um, I can, and I truly believe that you can impact, especially at the younger level. I think that you can have a big impact whether it's decision making anticipation pattern recognition um whatever it may be um you can have a huge impact with that development that part of their developmental process yes yeah, it makes me think about it was going back to like that little hockey um because i don't i don't have any experience with high school sport coaches you know i don't i i um so i or seeing what they're doing and but it's interesting you said that, and because it makes me think about um, like like this canned and robotic way of coaching. I, I feel like it's very uh, it can be it, it maybe whether consciously or subconsciously ego driven as well. Like do this like like I say like I am gonna make you <laughs> the athlete. Like and, yeah, it's a dictatorship, man. And yeah. that's just how that's just how that's just how it is. And if you ask a coach, uh, and I've had experience with this, you ask a coach why they're doing it, and the typical answer is because I did it. You know, yeah. and it's that can't be the answer. <laughs> Yeah, or they say. I mean, a lot of people say it's oh, it's to help the kids, or but that's kind of just a, you know that's like the standard, right? Like <laughs> you go deeper than that, or uh, and but no, it's it's. But I, I was gonna say like that. It's not that dissimilar to to individual sports as well. Like and in everything I've been learning about running, uh, run, sprint training too. Like the idea of uh, like this technical model that everyone has to fit into. You know, have your knee like this, have your arm like this, versus letting the athlete like just try some environmental based drills that are more free flowing and feedback based the feedback coming from your own body rather than in sport and opponent. But it's still yeah. the, the one where you make the athlete an ambassador of their performance rather than driving them into a single technical model. Um, or it's the same reason that like and Tony and I were just talking, Holler and I were just talking about, you know, playing basketball and high jump and why high jumpers tend to roll off the court and they can jump really high. And then once they start getting coached, you know, like these rigid yeah. models, um, the subconscious loses its power in the way that body was self-organizing but yeah i could go on all day about that stuff but it's it, it, it's like universal principles that dictate everything right sports performance sport coaching um i think you know tony's stuff uh has a lot of implications to life itself too so uh yeah. i love it wait before we get too much uh farther down the train just of kind of like talking about the the philosophy of it all uh, i'd like to just get into some nuts and bolts too of like uh you so you had mentioned a little bit about what got you into the perception reaction system. You know, I've had a few other guests, you know, on this the podcast of Michael Zeeple, Sean Miska, Scott Sawasser, and 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 the people who are who are really like bringing this forward in the field. Uh, I think anything obviously has its critics, you know, and, and whatnot. And uh, but what? So once you got interested in this stuff, what were your first steps in starting to implement it? Well, let's start there. So what were like the first kind of steps you you did in that field, and then how have you pro uh, progressed things from there? Yes. Yeah, so basically the first thing I did, so I used to have, you know, your typical, you know, you have your linear and your multi-directional day, really simple on your, so I've always sprint my athletes, my hockey, basketball, we've always done acceleration, max block. We've always done some form of sprinting. I've always found value in that. Um, but that was just one day. And then on another day, you know, we would do your typical, you know, lateral accelerations, you know, your, you know, your closed, whatever, shuffle, crossover, backpedal, whatever, you know, your closed type uh, pre-planned drills. Um, and then some type of agility, which I thought, you know, at the time I thought it was agility, uh, which, you know, whatever, it would be something of a, like a 5-10-5. So basically, as I kind of, you know, started digging down the rabbit hole, uh, I basically got rid of, you know, part of the closed drills. Um, and it's just real simple, you know whether it was kind of like a cat mouse or some type of tag or a wolf sheep uh, type style. And I, I just honestly just substitute, just took it out. And so I saw, you know, I kind of, <clears throat> I let it, you know, a couple months, um, 
kind of see how the athletes responded, see if they were ready for it, see, you know, just basically just watch um, and, and communicate, talk with the athletes, you know, see if they liked it, see, you know, what their feedback was. And, and they loved it. And especially at, at my level, just the engagement alone, that was worth it for me just alone. So um, and so once that started, I kind of just, you know, continued to educate myself with the name, you know, the people you just mentioned, you know, with, with Sean Mishka and and, and Michael Zweifel, um, communicate with them, you know, and realize there's much more to this. Uh, and so basically to now uh, we I basically am either, and it, obviously, you know, context is everything. It depends on the situation, whether if I have an off-season or in-season athlete. Uh, but we will run two, in the off-season, we will run two, three days of, we call them, so instead of agility training, we call it problem-solving, uh, our problem-solving uh, activities. Um, but we'll run two, three days of that. Um, and we'll typically, we'll st- we still keep the speed. I still find a ton, a ton of value in our sprint work. Um, but if you want to talk about like on our, on the turf, on the basketball court, before we get into the weight room, we always conclude with some type of problem solving activity. Um, and that from how I kind of organize that is basically I, I've taken, I basically, since I work, I do work with hockey, basketball, but I also work with, uh, lacrosse, um, baseball, soccer. We have a bunch of different sports um, in in kind of the same group. So basically, I try to look and you know, and obviously, it's not, it's not going to always be perfect, and it's not going to be as representative as possible. But I try to look at commonalities across the board. Um, and so basically, I, I, at this point, we basically design the activities basically on situations, whether we call it one vo, one v one. 2v1, 1v2, 2v. So basically, basically becomes side, uh, small sided games. Um, so that's from an agility, uh, that's from the uh, kind of the agility side of things. I've also taken it with the perception, um, and have applied it, uh, you know, to our plyometric work as well, um, and to our pre training, which I call pre trainings are warm up. Um, I just, when you work with a younger athlete, you got to be very careful with how you say things. Um, so one thing, every time I would use the word warm up, you know, was the kind of that kids going through the motion, you know, I used to have your typical dynamic warm up, and it just, it wasn't productive. So basically when I made all these different changes, I basically changed instead of calling agility training, called it problem solving or problem solving activities. Instead of calling it the warm up, we call it pre. So basically it was a revamp of the entire program. I, I just wanted to basically have, uh, you know, a new look, a new look to it. Um, and so from the, from the pre-training, um, I, I, to be honest, only with our middle school. So basically our like kind of that 12 to 14 age, because that's a very interesting age to work with, but that 12 to 14 year, that, that age range, um, we will spend time at the beginning of, of a program where we will, do some form of a, a kind of if, if you want to call it a, a dynamic warm-up where we do marching skipping you know different lunging um stuff like that but honestly every other than that i've kind of gotten rid of every, all of that um and basically instead we have a thing we call it kind of partner reactive skills um and so basically what that is is you know it's a bunch of different things but to keep it simple we it'll be really simple kind of like a one-on-one type setup where I'll, at the beginning, you know, at the, when we first introduce it, you know, the partner reactive skills will basically have an emphasis for the day, whether it's acceleration, whether it's shuffling, whether it's crossing over, whether it's some type of, you know, uh, backpedal or backtrack, whatever it may be, we'll have an emphasis. And so we start really simple. We start with very, very, you know, uh, um, low amount of information provided to each, to each athlete. But basically we will call out the first movement and the, Basically, so it's one-on-one. We have an offensive-defensive situation. Offensive athlete dictates the direction. So they both know what movement's coming. They just don't know what the direction is. So we'll start really simple. So say, just to keep it in simple, we'll say it's a shuffle. So offensive will shuffle right. Defense, they're reacting to the offense. They're shuffling right. All right? And then then we'll take it from there, and then we'll say, okay, now we're doing three movements. And so we'll, we'll dictate the first movement and then the offensive player dictates the next two movements. And that could be some type of shuffle, some type of crossover. Maybe it's into kind of a more of a short acceleration to a decel. 
So basically, as we progress, and this is within a session, as we progress, we slowly give just a little bit more information, um, and we just try to incre- increase, uh, I don't want to say complexity, but we increase the demand from each athlete um, as we go rep to rep to rep to rep. Um, so basically, our, our, our conclusion of any type of pre-training work is always with some type of partner reactive skill. Um, and then the other component to it is with our plyometric work. Um, and just to give context again, I'm not, when I, when I talk about this, I'm not having an athlete that's just starting, you know, I'm not throwing them right into the fire with this type of stuff. Um, so once an athlete, you know, is competent and has the capacities in our triplanar plyo, so they can jump, bound, hop, you know, in all different planes of motion and they, I have, a, I have several G flights where I will measure ground contact times just to, just to get some type of um, objective information. Um, once I feel, you know, that it's appropriate, basically what we do is we'll set up athletes like a one-on-one type situation, side by side, back to back, where we'll have an athlete, we'll, we'll put constraints uh, on the actual plyometric, on the, on the activity. So we'll say, uh, the coach will say, okay, we have three movements, all right. Offense first move. Or you have we have three movements. You have to stay on two legs. Offense first jump is a horizontal jump. So the offensive athlete will go. He'll jump horizontal. Defense has to react. Do the same jump as the offense. So the defense knows what type of jump is 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 coming, but they don't know what time at what time. Excuse me. So then the so the defense will respond. Then the offense basically can choose any type of jump. So staying on, taking off the two legs, staying on two legs, perform a lateral, diagonal, rotational, vertical, whatever it may be. And the defense is, is basically responding and mimicking the same jumping pattern as the offensive athlete. Um, and so as we progress with that, we will, we'll, like I said, we have constraints, two leg, one leg combination of both. Um, so it, it, the, uh, the, the difficulty increases as we go um so that's just kind of another way from a from a a, a jumping standpoint a plyometric standpoint um we've added and i've seen huge 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 benefits um in the sense of how they're doing with our problem solving work with how they're doing with the jumping and both of them complementing each other i've seen a big big difference um from decision making anticipation um it's it's been um it's something that i'm not going back on i really um i've really found it very beneficial you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah i think one thing um i think regardless of what people would say on you know that bandwidth of perceptual reaction oh it's the sport coach's job oh there's you know there's not enough regardless of and i'm and i'm definitely uh in, in all this i mean i haven't worked with team sport athletes in this context but i i do think it's a really good thing but i feel like regardless of what you say about it it's definitely a hell of a warm-up like <laughs> and yeah, and, cool. and you you're never going to get the same like i mean anyone i've ever worked with in the vertical jump world like basketball they're the most warmed up after a game of basketball every time you can't recreate what basketball does and i'm like there's really no better way to get athletes yeah you know, like you said engaged and, and firing on all cylinders than something where there's competition and reaction to something and you're stimulating dopamine and i just mm-hmm. i think there's you know not only that uh what you with what you're talking about but i think that element is fantastic and i try to i mean i try to use games even my athletes who don't have a person to react to i still like using some sort of game to get them ready for the the warm the, the workout and so i think that's awesome well, the, big, the big thing joel before we go on the next thing the big thing that i've seen i've seen especially at the high school level and we, we were talking about you know the you know with doing kind of these pre-planned robotic rehearsed tight drills you know whether it's on the field on the court on the ice and off the court field and ice uh is that their creativity is gone yeah and in my opinion sport that's a form you know human movement that is creativity you know that is something that we it is trainable all right i have a two-year-old daughter and i think don't you have a yeah two and a half yeah and a a nine-month-old you just seen i like Today I went, you know, I went to the gym to, to to clean this afternoon, and I always on Saturdays I always bring my daughter along, and just seeing her kind of just take some, you know, simple pieces of uh, of equipment, whether it's 
you know, a light medicine ball, a balance, you know, one of our balance beams, whether it's our little trampoline, whatever it may be, but just see what she does with it. it it's fascinating. And, and we lose that. And that's something that we, in, in my opinion, I'm very passionate about. And, and that's how basically taking the perception, putting it into our kind of plot, the plyometric world. That's how I really, because when you, when you first introduce kids to decision-making creative thought, this type of stuff where they have to think on their own, uh, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a learning curve and there's definitely, it's very awkward and it's very uncomfortable, which I love. Um, and it's part of the process, but, um, it's something that they need to continue to develop. And in my opinion, it's just, this is just one way I found. And there's a a couple other ways that we, we, uh, a couple other, uh, tactics we use to, to, to address that. Um, but that's been a big allowing them to be creative, express their creative movement, uh, is something that I hope, I hope, I hope more coaches, you know, see the benefits of. Yeah, that's something that's, that's huge. Uh, and even with like my tennis guys, um, I've definitely noticed a trend. I, I, I was in the last at least couple of years, like using, um, like some of Michael Zwiefel's, uh, the stuff I saw that Michael Zwiefel would post and like just even a very simple um, mirroring drill where one person is like kind of the leader, like just going forward doing zigzag and the other person's behind them trying to mirror them. And you watch some athletes who it's like everything is just, everything has been pre-programmed the way they've been coached their whole life. They have no moves. Like there's, it's just like, okay, go to the right. Okay, go to the left. There's no like creative, how am I going to juke this guy out thought process? It's just, Everything is pre-programmed. Everything is robotic, and those and that will only take you so far. No matter who you are, you know, no matter how strong, how fast, how how robust, if you can't create, and it's like someone had posted Steph Curry like doing some like crazy like way he shot a three as a warm up for his game. Like he like I don't know if he bounced it in from way way beyond the arc or what it was, but he made it and it was amazing. And it's like it's it's that kind of thing too. It's like I'm sure Steph Curry isn't like you know, doesn't love going in the gym and like maxing out on a bunch of lifts. Like he likes creating, right? I mean, it's nothing wrong with being strong. You should be, but you know, like the ability to create and you're, that really resonates with me as well. So, uh, and that's one of those things where, well, do you fix that? Is it like psychological too? Is it practice? Do you have to just, what do you do to get somebody more in that mindset rather than that? It's almost like that comes from inside of you, like your rear brain, right? Like that, that core of yourself, not just like the frontal cortex, like do A, B, you know, now do this like coach told me to. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, and honestly, that's just the biggest thing with the environment, you know, with, with the environment, the athlete is in. And I, I, t- I love, uh, I've taken this from Keith Davids. I think this was on Robbie Bork's podcast. I think it was the OPEX podcast, but creating safe uncertainty conditions. And I truly believe that in it. And like I said, there's a learning curve and everyone, when you first kind of, they get first exposed to this, you know, there's going to be a delay. There's going to be kind of that deer and headlight, you know, what to do type thing. Uh, but if they realize that, Hey, I'm not going to scream at you. Hey, I'm not going to, you know, whatever it may be that it's safe. You can explore, you can express any type, you know, you can, I, I'm, I want you to express your creativity. I want you to experiment. You're, you know, you're so used to doing this. I want you, you know, getting out of that and try something else out. I think that once a kid understands that there's, there's that they, they, they figure it out. And that's why I think that so many coaches really limit athletes because they don't realize what they're really capable of. Um, and with me, once I kind of, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I used to be, you know, when I first started, it was, you know, I, I was very, you know, it, it was, it was a coach center model where now I'm more of a learner center model. Um, but kids will surprise you. That's that's for sure. You know, kids will surprise you when you give them the chance and you realize that part of learning is messy. Kids are going to mess up. It happens, and as long as you're not putting a kid in danger, you you know kids kids will surprise you, and I see it on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that, James. That's like, yeah, it's good stuff, and it's like it's. I mean, the best coaches are always drawing from from more realms than just exercise physiology. You know, it's like that's it's sad. Like that's where we're trained. So. <laughs> yeah, that's where we're trained. Like you know, ex phys and 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 all like evidence based sets and reps and periodization. It's like. 
Is that what makes a good athlete? Like, <laughs> I mean, it can help. It can help, you know, like, I, I mean, I've heard people say like, you know, a strength conditioning, sports science, it's not going to win you a championship, but it, it can keep you from screwing it up or something like that too. But I, I do think on your level, there's, and even the college and, and, and maybe even beyond, there's always room for that stuff. You know, like, I don't know how many people get to the pros who aren't at least somewhat creative with movement, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's probably some need of that is, is always there in some way, shape or form. And I, I that I mean, I would love to spend time at your gym doing those kind of things. I know my, my buddy Paul Cater is always coming up with ways to be creative at his spot down in Monterey, and you see these things, and it's it makes a big difference. I I wanted to ask you, so expanding too, because this here's like I don't know if I call it like a hater question or maybe just honestly, well, it's a question I would have because I again I'm not super experienced with this stuff on a team sport react to a person level, and so I'm hoping for your insight on this one. Uh, or maybe devil's advocate, if nothing else. So I, I read the book Bounce a long time ago, and it was kind of talking about, you know, the short-sighted games. I think they were talking about short-sighted games in the Brazilian futsal and where that all started and how much faster the Brazilians were at reacting to everybody else. Uh, and that's, like, super simple, right? Just put the goals closer together, the lines closer together, and there you go. Um, or, or the guy who, who grew up uh, playing table tennis with his back against the wall and he had no choice but to be fast. But uh, what would you do? And in the book, they were talking about like the, the author of the book played Federer in like the author of the book was a table tennis player and Federer, obviously regular tennis. And they played some game that was like, and I've probably mentioned this in the past on my show, but like where it was like half the size of a tennis court and different like tools and ball size and influence. And they were both terrible at it because all the cues were off or something like that. Uh, it sounds like you're really building the human to human reaction and just honing in on that. Because obviously once you bring like the, the sport elements like the sport gear and the ball size or whatever in there, it probably becomes a little different. You you really are focusing on the human to human reaction element, I'm assuming, or can you just go into the, like the transfer? People will talk about transfer and that type of thing. Yeah, so mine's hum- Yeah, mine's is 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 uh, athlete to athlete. Um, and the the big thing is uh, so when you look when you look at you know from a motor learning standpoint, you you you're your your activities, your drills, your games, whatever you want to call it, they need to be as representative as possible. But from a logistics standpoint, I can't have I can't go onto an ice rink. I can't. I guess I could go onto a basketball court because I do have access to that. But you know, uh, to keep it simple for this conversation, I don't. I'm not going to have a kid on the ice with you know with their full gear on, with a hockey stick, with a puck, you know that type of thing. Uh, so. My when I'm when I'm training, you know, these these skills is it's it's always, you know, athlete opponent uh, opponent to opponent in both since since we work since I work, excuse me, with the, you know, invasion type sports, my athletes and even if I wasn't, I would have both athletes, especially the younger they are and the less experienced they are. I want them in offensive and defensive situations because when I'm training and this is we were talking about earlier, I have questions about training ice hockey. You know, and is it relevant? Is there it are or is it is it wasted time or is are you being productive? Where I truly believe, because maybe not from a biomechanical or a traditional sense, but from a from a a, a brain um, in a behavioral standpoint, especially with the intentions. I think that's the biggest thing is understanding. So when I'm when I'm applying these and and, and coming up with these different activities, these different situations, I'm not saying okay. I want this athlete to do this. I want to put them in a situation where they they choose whatever they do, but they understand the intention. They understand, okay, I'm in this position, so this is what I I want them, and, it, and it's going to be different for offensive and defense. Um, I just think the intention side is really really important. Um, that I feel like a lot of people a lot of people miss, but everything is always you know human to human um but we will because then you'll get people saying well what if a kid's not ready and i understand that and so that's what i call our our initial i don't like the word progression but our initial uh uh whatever the initial activity that we introduce this type of training to someone we call it a one-on-oh but they're they're so they're 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 reacting or responding i don't like the word reacting but they're responding to uh, an individual, but that individual is stationary, and maybe that individual is stepping, leaning, looking, uh, whatever it may be. That they're still looking at body language and perceiving body language to help with that action. Sure. Uh, so you talked about a lot of your your, your uh, populations invasion sports. So like 
I guess like basketball. I've heard that term. So it's like basketball, soccer. You're invading, and other teams invading where your goal is, or hockey. I, I'm assuming that's that's probably right. Um, yeah, you are. And I, I mean, I guess it's pretty simple. But I'm like, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, and so you know. Uh, so and then, uh, but you talk about intention. So what are like when you're setting up these these human to human? You know, one player is like you know, like you said, the player could be jumping a certain way, and you have to react to the way they jump, or or the the one zero and the two the, the different the different setups and the small sidedness to it. Like what outside of just giving them the instructions? Here's here's the setup. Here's what you're gonna do. Like from a from a rules perspective, the framework. You said intention. Like, what are what's the intentionality behind the actual or instructions behind? Yeah. How so they yeah. So with the agility, so it, it it's different. So the agility okay. intentions is going to be different than the than the plyos. But uh, well, I'll talk about the agility. So from an intention standpoint, so you have an offensive mindset and a defensive mindset. So basically, what I tell tell the athletes, it's it's through the offensive lens and the defensive lens. And so if you're in the offensive lens, all right, you are trying, you know, to create space. You're trying to get that defense, that defensive player to overcommit or put them at a disadvantageous position. You're trying to challenge the defense or the opponent's perceptual cognitive abilities. So you have these specific intentions that you're trying to do, and you're going to have different movement pa- motor patterns, you know, to try to, you know, accomplish that. And then from a, on the defensive side, you're trying to shorten that space or get into the athlete's bubble. You're trying to stay in an advantageous position, all right? And you're also, and this is where kind of that perceptual cognitive, uh, uh, the skills are really important. You're trying to manipulate time and space so that you can uh, prevent any potential uh, movement options from the offense. So instead of it being uncertain, you're making it predictable because you are dictating, you are forcing the offensive athlete, you know, to the right, to the left, or it, it, whatever it may, the case may be, you are kind of you are uh, you are dictating the situation. So that's what I mean by intentions. Oh, right on. I, 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 that that makes a lot of sense, and I think that really helped kind of because you know this is an audio show, right? You're listening in the car. It's like okay, I hear all these instructions, but you know, a video would be helpful, right? Like, and I'll try to put some stuff in the show notes. That's, too. A, that's a tough thing with yeah. this, Joel. Is that there's you know obviously there's the theories then there's the application and the theories can get you know can get complicated and then the application can and that the best way you know you could do the best with you know with, you know through talking through dialogue but you're you're absolutely right you everything you got it you got to see visuals for to kind of understand but the beauty of this and this is why you know uh, and I don't understand. I guess I do understand because I, I was in that position where, you know, your typical physical preparation coach, strength conditioning coach, whatever you want to call it, whatever we're called these days, uh, you know, they want everything to go their way. They want everything perfect. They want 90 degree angles. They want everyone looking the same. But with this whole, you know, the perception, action, intention, with the constraints led approach, the beauty of this is that you can, uh, the coach, you can set up. It, it's it's if you understand a sport, you understand the common sport problems, and you are creative. You can set up. There's no right or really wrong way, and that's what the beauty of this is. And and honestly, that's what how I look, and I kind of go, kind of that dynamical systems theories with the you know uh, repetition without repetition. Um, where we really change, uh, I, I, I basically every single, every single week we change the activity and it might, there might be some similarities, but I never put an athlete from an activity standpoint in the same activity. And then within the activity, we do not put an athlete in the same, the same situation, uh, you know, consecutively two times in a row. It's always changing. And that seems like, holy cow, that's, that's a lot of work. But when you really break it down and it's just really kind of manipulating stances, manipulating angles, manipulating directions, workspace size, the opponents, obstacles, barriers, training implements. There's so many different ways. If you understand the theory to it, it's actually really simple. And it's actually it's you can work. And this is something I've you know, this this past summer I had especially one group comes to mind where I had it, it was 14 and 18 year olds or 15 and 18 year olds, excuse me. And there was a couple 15-year-olds that looked and act like they were closer to 12. And I was very, very hesitant with kind of throwing him into the mix with this. But by 
you know, using the constraints, you can really individualize and custom and make sure that that information at that time and that problem they're trying to solve, you know, is appropriate for them. So it's actually, it, it does, a, it, it's, it's very, uh, it's very suitable uh, for, for groups. It's very suitable for different sports. It's very suitable for different levels. Um, you just have to understand the sport, the problems, and you got to be, you have to have a, you know, a creative mind. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think about like, and I, I think I read that the, the Franz Bosch strength and coordination book and I highlighted like the majority of it. But honestly, I, I'm a little fuzzy on a lot of that stuff, like in terms of my, my, my recall, my, my college, like recollection brain isn't that good. On, sometimes it's more like I, I like just getting my hands dirty and learning from that. But it seems like as I remember, and maybe just from other papers I've read, like the rant, once your basic hardline you know, skills, the ability to run, the ability to cut, you have those abilities, then the more random it is, the better because the retention will be better when it's when it matters, you know, like in a game situation, whereas if it's it's blocked and just you know, boom, 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 the same thing over and over again. It's like you, I, this is at least what I remember, but I think you, you don't, you aren't going to be able to recall it as well. Like you, you don't get as much like stimulated different situations or, I don't know, am I totally off James or does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and I just think though too is, and I, I understand, you know, both sides of the argument where it's, it's basically, you know, we want to have kind of that close to open progression, or it's just freaking nuts. And it's it's basically there's kind of two sides, you know, to this, if you want to call it the human movement system or skill acquisition, whatever you want to call it. Um, I just how I look at it in my situation is that I look at I have a total program and I believe that, you know, with these different attractors and these movement principles, I truly believe that they can be, you know, addressed elsewhere. And so when I'm training agility all right, I'm always including that perception, that cognition. That's a must for me. All right, but maybe I'm I'm working on, you know, one of the movement principles, maybe that kind of hip lock, swing leg retraction, whatever it may be. Maybe I'm doing that with my acceleration work. If I'm working more kind of creating that, you know, from a, a lateral uh, cut standpoint deceleration, maybe I'm working that more with my lateral bounding. You know, there's other ways that you can teach these movement principles throughout your program, these attractors, um, then saying, okay, we're going to do, I want every athlete doing this, you know, uh, and until they do this, then you're ready for this next progression. I just, I just don't agree with it. If, if you're, if you have kind of a holistic approach and you know, you, you have different components because we train every quality uh, throughout the year. The only thing that I change is the, the volume we have an emphasis. So it's kind of, you know, whatever vertical integration, uh, you know, style, um, I believe that those, you know, those, um, those key principles, you know, can be developed. Um, and I think that with the agility, that perception, that cognition, um, we got to think of that as just as important, you know, as, you know, the biomechanics and stuff like that. Yeah. I, one thing I wanted to bring up with all this stuff and, and again, without, without videos, I think just kind of talking about, um, principles is, is awesome and directions and like ways coaches can be creative in their own program. And one thing I, that really kind of hit me recently is the idea of, um, and I've seen this, I've seen this for a little bit with tennis players. I'm seeing it now even with, with swimmers a little bit, which is just an individual sport, but like kind of this idea, like if the athletes, the exercises you choose for, for your program, um, if the athletes who are the best players on the team are the best at those exercises, then you're doing a good job at exercise selection, basically. Uh, and and when I when I say that for myself, and and I, even outside of my own um, the perception reaction realm in my my own work, like even just ha- doing like some of the Marvin Marinovich stuff with the physio ball and seeing how people move on the physio ball and when they're called on to, I guess my reaction is just having them like reverse the movement or do halves and quarters and just different like cognitive um, stuff where their brain has to work a little bit and see how they preserve movement. And uh, it's, it does definitely is where like the best players in the team guys who play courts one, two and stuff like that are generally the best at it, you know? And, but, uh, and I would imagine the same exists uh, in, in the stuff that you're doing, like regardless of if a guy's the strongest or not, or maybe the fastest or not, they're probably the guys who are probably more of the all state or all league or all conference 
I would imagine are probably better at the drills that you do. I mean, I imagine there's that parallel there, right? And I, well, yeah, 100%. Especially the, the, the athletes, and it's very rare, but I, I still have athletes that play multiple sports, which is great, um, yeah. and I'm an advocate <laughs> for it. Um, but we do have the athletes that just play one sport. And since we have, you know, there's very limited general play. There's there's basically none. There's That's gone. General play is gone. Uh, PE's limited. Um, and then you have kids, and especially in the ice hockey world, which, you know, that whole sport is just completely foreign in itself, you know, to the human body. Um, when I have the athletes, I have – I guess it's, it, it's dependent on the sport, I will say, because you'll have the best hockey players. <laughs> but – when they come in, they are not the best movers. They are not from a from a a, a, a global athletic standpoint. They, um, it's not what you think. Um, but if I do have you know a hockey, a talented hockey, and he's talented at lacrosse, and he's talented you know at another sport, uh, yes, I it's they definitely they definitely are the ones that they. It, there's still a learning curve if they're not if they're not used to this type of training stimulus. There is still a curve, but they adapt and they they really uh, they respond well to it. Yeah, that's cool. I, I yeah, I mean, hockey player perception reaction with hockey, right? This, and you're talking about facility limitations and environmental limitations. Like you don't have an ice rink at your place to do like perception reaction on ice, right? So it's a little. Oh, but honestly, but that's what like I was saying. I was like, if I can get, if I have some coaches that are sport coaches. Um, that are interested in are starting to apply some of these concepts. Um, and they're seeing, I mean, they're seeing they're and the big, and, and I don't have any research. I don't have any data. And I know, so a lot of people probably aren't, aren't going to listen to this, but I truly believe that that perceptual ability, that, that, that ability to interpret that sensory information. Um, if that is poor, your actions are going to be poor. And I truly believe that it's not the strength, it's not the power, it's not the speed, because you see these athletes. Some of these athletes, you know, are freaks of nature, but they're still having these soft tissue injuries. They're still having, you know, these problems. I truly believe that, I'm not saying it's the whole piece, but I'm telling you, I, I truly believe that it's part of the equation that if we do improve, and and I've, it's been two years for me, so obviously it's very, very, I have a very small pool of, of athletes to draw from, but the athletes that have that have improved on it, I haven't had any in, in, in the ice hockey world. It's always the it's the adductors, it's the psoas, uh, it's that kind of lower ab oblique. That those are the pro. I haven't had any type of issues. Obviously, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of different things going on, but it, it, it's it's very interesting to me. Um, to see the importance, not just, you know, from a, a, a motor learning and a skill, uh, you know, acquisition standpoint, but also, you know, from, you know, an injury standpoint as well. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like it a lot. And it's, um, it makes me think about, well, a couple, I have a couple of thoughts before I get to my, my next, I guess, question is I was thinking too about how I think, uh, you know, creativity is, is definitely, you know, as an athlete, you talked about that is, is critical, right? But even as a coach too, I was just thinking, how creative can you be? There will come, I mean, and just doing general, you know, the, if you look at the bonder check pyramid, if all you're doing is GE and, and GPE, you know, or, you know, the, or SPE, like the bottom two, like just, just the general exercises, how creative can you truly be? And at what point does creativity there almost, does it ever detract, you know, because it's not that skill is farther away from the sport. It seems like the creativity is almost better utilized with stuff that has a higher transfer. Like that's where the mental energy goes. Yeah, 100%. I will say though that I have, with with and this is recently i have uh experimented with a couple i have 10 athletes that have been with me five plus years and i have been experimenting with uh with doing some weight so basically your traditional deadlift split squat squats where we will do so i we run some of our athletes we run kind of a high low approach so we have our max effort dynamic effort type idea uh, type split um, when the weight you know when the weight is lower and we're looking for more kind of you know the, that velocity of the bar that's the emphasis we have uh, experimented and it's been really interesting because like you were saying the kids that are you know multi you know the talented you know uh, multi-sport athlete you know they they excel with the perception cognition and some of these, you know, perception, adding the perception to the plyometrics, which, you know, more, you know, uh, allows for, you know, that creative expression. Uh, 
we've had where the athlete will perform a lift and instead of just going pre-planned from point A to point B, whether it's a full or partial, we will have another athlete call, you know, and we, we use one, we just use one, two, three, where three is the deep range, two is the middle, one's the quarter range, where on the eccentric, we call it, and the athlete has to go to that specific position with the load, with, and obviously the load isn't heavy, it's not as heavy as, you know, traditional max effort, so it's more dynamic effort type stuff, but it's really interesting to see them do that um, and compare with other athletes that, you know, are, are still at that level, but struggle with the perceptual and the creative expression, mm-hmm. and they struggle with that. They're, they have a tough time with that, too. Um, so that's something that I'm, and I, I'm not, I, I still see, you know, your big rock movements. I mean, those are, those have been around forever for a reason. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, try to reinvent the wheel, but I still, I think there's something to that um, from a, you know, I don't want to say an unpredictable standpoint, but from really allowing the athlete to, um, to just, it's not pre-planned. It's yeah. not, okay, you do this. There is some type of, okay, I have these different options and I have to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I love that stuff. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun too, to watch. And, and that's right. I've, I've literally just started doing that stuff the last few months after spending some time with Gary Marinovich and like kind of seeing how he, I mean, when that guy coaches you, he's, he's just, just the intensity is just, I mean, he is intense when he coaches you like you're going to be in the game or a fight because him and um, Marv, you know, famous for training like BJ Penn and fighters and stuff. And like, it's almost like he's creating an environment that is going to make you create in you what it is to compete and calling like you're doing range of motion. It's like half quarter, half full, you know, like, and you're just trying to fly and, and keep up with it. And I'm like, I was just started going through, I was like, I have never done anything like this before. I mean, this is, and, and just like what you were saying too, with like, even in a warm up situation, just lights people up. And uh, from from a nervous, not like fries them out muscular, but like lights, they're they're ready to go. And, oh, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think that's really cool too. Yeah, you had said that with a squat, like, and but again, like doing like a speed, a faster squat. The faster what you're doing is, the closer it is to sport. You know, like I mean, yeah. obviously being able to develop force is good. Being able to lift some heavy weights is good. But like, it's almost like the more, it's almost like there's that bandwidth of the 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 faster it is and the closer it is to sport, the more that creativity really can can be fully harnessed because it's like you know to be creative with like a max dead i don't know how many ways you can be creative with a max up i mean you can you can do vbt on it and like tag it some different ways but like i'd rather take my energy and spend it like what you're doing you know like and and stuff that that hits harder from a transfer perspective completely agree 100 <clears throat> percent awesome man um all right so last thing i got for you uh and and i think this is a good like like correlation and causation like and i saw it was, this was actually on michael zuifel's blog it was something like uh, correlation doesn't equal causation uh and i think it, this was in regards to something with sprinting or like some tests with depth jumping uh like the best sprinters had like the fastest you know depth jump rate of force or something like that like stuff that you would definitely i could definitely see it but he said like but does that mean that getting better at that test is going to make you better at sprinting right so this is another just devil's advocate question again i, I like throwing these out uh, but like and, and maybe this is a chance for you to speak a little bit to the results and improvement that you've seen. But and and I kind of had that feeling, right, that the the best sport players, the people who were getting playing time and doing well, were going to be the people who were crushing it at the perception reaction work you were doing. But could you talk a little bit about the the reverse of that, like someone who might not be as good at that stuff, and the improvement curves you're seeing, just things you're you've been seeing in this two years in terms of um, the impact that has been making on the the quality of movement if there's any way you can uh you're you're trying to i mean and intuition is awesome i never discount that you know it's it's probably yeah. my main thing i'm a shortcomer in in quantitative stuff or qualitative sorry numbers <laughs> um yeah. but yeah what types of results are you seeing that's what i'm trying to say yeah <laughs> i got you so before so even with and, and i think this is important to state because and i guess it it, it could be at every level uh even the athletes, so the, the, the skillful athletes, the multi, you know, the multi-sport athletes, you know, at my level, they still, I mean, they're young. They still have, we call it a movement solution toolbox or a movement strategy toolbox. Their toolbox is still very, very small, you know, it, relatively speaking. So we still, even if they're still good, you know, still, if they're able, you know, to complete tasks or if they're still making really quick decisions or they're, you know, they're in a, you know, 
defensive situation and they're controlling the offense completely or if they're in the offensive situation and they're they're creating space there you know they you know they they can basically you know fool the defense uh they're still i mean they're still uh, these athletes are still kids and they still tend to want to do what they're good at and so that's a big thing especially as as a coach and using this kind of constraints approach is is a, without telling them facilitating and guiding allowing them so if you have an athlete and i'm just this is just trying to keep it simple but if you have an athlete that's always going right and he's completing his tasks i need to get him going left mm-hmm. he needs to get going i need him going in a different direction so that's something to be mindful of too but with the with the athletes that have struggled um honestly it, it's you know obviously learning is is, is a non-linear process um and it, it's ongoing um the big the big thing that I see is that yes you you know there's going to be mistakes um, and I want kids you know to experiment I want kids to try different things um, but there's really that fine line because and it's going to kind of sound corny but when I'm working with these young kids I'm trying to build their confidence and that's a real real you know big thing that I think a, a, some not not a lot of coaches I think some coaches miss. Um, and that can be very, very impactful. So there's, there's that, you know, if you have a kid that is constantly getting beat, he's constantly, you know, it's to the point where he's embarrassed. There's gotta be some, there's gotta be some, you know, some type of manipulation, some, some type of change, uh, some type of change within, within the activity. Um, but I have with these, with these athletes, with these younger athletes, with these athletes that have, you know, poor perceptual, uh, poor perceptual skills. You, I definitely seen with if you do it appropriately. I've definitely seen them being able from a decision making standpoint. And and you and it's obviously I don't. You, it's very hard to give data on this type of stuff. But you can see from a coach's eye, you can just see them making split second decisions. You can see them, you know, making that split second decision and how that decision. And just to give an example, how that decision affects their cut step. Or how that decision affects that, you know, that that sprint, or how that decision affects that drop step in that 180 degree turn, whatever it may be, that you can see how, and it's and it's pretty glaring. It, it's it, I mean, it's noticeable. You can see the importance of that side in how it relates, you know, to the to the the motor pattern, to the action. Um, so I, it's. The big thing is, is and, then, and this is what we, we tell our athletes, is that um, everyone's going to adapt. Everyone's going to learn at different rates. You know, it's not going to be this, you know, it's not going to be this uh, smooth line going up, going up, going up like you see, you know, in a textbook. It's, it's, it's undulating. It's, you know, some days are good. Some days are bad. And some day, honestly, there's some times where I've had an athlete struggle and I knew he could handle it. And I've, I have a relationship had a relationship with this athlete, so I know he could. I knew he could handle, it, and he had a tough two months. And then all of a sudden, things were clicking. And that, to me, that's fascinating. And so to me, that's it's just learn. It, it's just, and that's something that I really try to, you know. And obviously, the maturity, you know, where that kid is at, you know, uh, from a maturation standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, you've got to understand the situation. Where there's some kids, if they miss a rep, their day is ruined. Or you have a kid that, you know, he can miss, you know. 20 sessions in a row and then he finally gets it and he's thrilled. So you got to, obviously that's where the, the code, you know, the art is and you got to understand, you got to understand the population you're working with. Um, but definitely I have seen the kids and it's, it's noticeable. You'll see a kid just sprint, you know, completely come to a dead stop. Think about literally, you can tell he's thinking and then make a cut <laughs> and you have another kid where he'll sprint, he'll decelerate, he'll drop down and it's just effortlessly, make a decision and sometimes he anticipates it's right sometimes it's wrong but you can see that smooth transition um so it's pretty easy you know to see but a lot of coaches don't like that because you can't really measure it um and that's something that you know i'm open to anyone that has different ideas with how to measure that you know um you know like i said i I, i'm I'm very fascinated about uh um, about it but um, I don't have any objective information. Everything is subjective through video and through seeing and through my, you know, my athletes, uh, my athletes feedback. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's not easy to quantify. I mean, maybe once GPS gets really good and some, co- you know, some quantum computing, like gets this crazy okay. algorithm or something, but, uh, no, I, I think that's awesome, James. Uh, yeah, man, it's just, 
the whole world of creativity and coaching that just goes beyond, um, you know, just get strong and just get fast uh, is, is awesome to me. I love learning about it. And uh, I'm glad I could sh- uh, spend some time with you this uh, Saturday afternoon slash evening uh, chatting. And so I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, best of luck with uh, what's going on at U of Strength. I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it's a lot of athletes getting a lot faster, stronger, more reactive for their sport. Thanks, Joel. Hey, and I appreciate everything you're doing, man. This podcast is is my go-to. Uh, you're doing a fantastic, you know, job, and uh, you're really pushing the industry and uh, a lot of coaches, you know, in the right direction. So you know, thank you for because I know this is a lot of work. This is not easy, especially being a family man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate you guys listening. And uh, man, I just looked through these recent episodes and man, I love this stuff. It's literally changing my coaching every day. It's changing the things that I look at. It's changing the ways I view creativity and uh, just the context and, and, and what I'm trying to get out of the workouts that I create and how I observe those exercises and workouts. Uh, again, it's just a blessing to have such great guests. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Um, didn't mention it in the early bit, but my new book, Speed Strength, is now out on Just Fly Sports. So uh, head on over to JustFlySports.com and you can find it there. Uh, it's something that I've put a lot of work into and it's getting great reviews by a lot of the best in the field. And I just think it's, it's a creative piece that has a lot of information that you won't see anywhere else. Again, uh, our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, a huge part of what we do. They have an amazing blog, uh, tech tools, and monitoring equipment, data, force plates, uh, free lap timing system, training tools such as KBox, and a great company doing great things. So be sure to support them, and we will see you guys next week with another great guest.